We had a little bit of fun in first service. Do you remember uh, last Sunday when one of our elders, Mike Hanna, was on the stage and he mumbled something about wanting a combine? Does anybody remember that? Uh, he, he got presented with a large combine in first service. Uh, if you ever mention something, you know, you got to be careful. This is a generous congregation. People might respond. He almost ended up with two combines uh, this morning. But anyhow, uh, that was a lot of fun. But uh, we do want to thank you for your generosity this season. And uh, there's always a lot of opportunity for generosity. Uh, we thought we'd just mention real quick uh, that we're making great progress. Uh, there is three families that uh, stepped forward and offered matching funds uh, for our church to move toward its next steps and to get debt free. And uh, we've, we've taken in about 17,000 of the 60 of matching funds in just a, like a week or two. So that's uh, phenomenal. And so we want to thank you for your generosity and, uh, and uh, appreciate you for that. So uh, I'm super curious about something, like genuinely. How much time would you say that you spend contemplating the mystery, the wonder of Jesus? So for example, do you find yourself thinking about the mystery of God's very existence? A God who stands outside of time, outside of space, outside of matter, uh, do you think about God that often? Uh, you know, you're not an accident. I'm not an accident. There's a creator God. Does he get our attention? Do you contemplate that you were specially created, not just by this God, but for this God, for his pleasure, for his enjoyment, that, that you are never alone? You know, at Christmas, the, the sense of being alone intensifies and this can be a very like the grief the the sadness of the season can just intensify uh, you talk about a blue Christmas it can get really really blue but you're never alone because there's a God who sees you and knows you and loves you and and God wants to be seen by you and be known by you and be loved by you and so that God has endowed you with every imaginable capacity and quality, not just human capacities, but divine-like capacities, that you could have a real relationship with him. And that's just a spectacular thing to contemplate, not just God's existence, but that we can have a relationship with God. Now, Laura and I, we have three schnauzers, and I didn't put up any pictures. You know, you just go, aw, you know, and everything. But anyway... But it's amazing how these three little creatures, you know, can bring so much joy into our life. And, uh, you know, if you have pets, you know what I'm talking about. How many uh, dog people do we have in here, by the way? I'm just curious. And, uh, and how many cat people? You always got to kind of pause before you raise your hand. You're kind of like. Uh, any bird people? Nobody has birds these days. Everybody used to have like a little parakeet or something. Any fish people? That's a lot of maintenance right there, those fish. Uh, cockroach people. You got stuff living. You may not even be doing inventory. Uh, that's probably a line too far. But let me ask you, how personal of a relationship can you really have with an animal? Now, I know people are convinced that they have a personal relationship with their animals. But how personal of a relationship can you really have? Now, we talk to our schnauzers. I can make their ears move in a lot of different directions based on what I say, the tone I say it, and what keywords I use. They can recognize keywords clearly. 
They can perceive our emotions. They can pick up on our habits and behaviors. They have learned uh, and they can learn how to manipulate us. You know, uh, like our dogs expect me to hand them a dog treat every single time I get up in the morning. And so I give them a, a, a full treat, a biscuit, right? But now it's not enough because I give them a biscuit and then I go and I do my thing and then they start working themselves into a frenzy. They want another treat on top of that treat. And I gave them a treat when they came in the door from being outside just to motivate them to get inside. So like they want like a third treat. I call it a half-calf, you know, because I, I don't give them a full one. I have to give them a half one so they don't get too fat or whatever. But they have this expectation that every time I walk by a treat jar, we have treat jars in every room. Uh, maybe that's part of the problem. I don't. But, but uh, they raise this fuss and they're barking and carrying on and, and they're demanding of a biscuit. How did they ever cultivate such profound expectations? I do not know. But, uh, but when it comes to pets, we like to ascribe human attributes to them, human emotions, uh, human-esque things, right? Uh, but how deeply can you really know your pet and how deeply can your pet know you? How deeply can you know its thoughts or it know your thoughts? I mean, they're cute, they're adorable. We'd like to imagine that they love us, like substantively, they know us and they, you know, but are we anything more than a treat dispenser or a warm body for them to shove out of the bed at night? You know, what, what are we? And if you're a cat owner, I know you're really, like, you are practically dead to your cat, so you're really struggling, you know, with this idea of a personal relationship with a pet. But, uh, you know, the cats don't even try to lead you on. Uh, they don't need you. A dog will at least lie to you and wag its tail or give you a sloppy kiss. But a cat, you know, they'll even hiss at you even as you feed them. I mean, there's something going on there. Uh, you're, you're so uh, upset. I haven't mentioned cats in a while. But let me tell you a story. When I was younger, my minister would hire me to feed his two Siamese cats. And uh, these were two of the meanest cats I'd ever I think that you could ever come across. I don't know. I had a friend that also had Siamese cat. He'd invite me over to play video games. And these cats, like you, you couldn't concentrate on the game. You had to have an eye on those cats. And he had the upper hand. I think that's why he invited me over is because he knew the cats would distract me and he could beat me. But I had a friend that had Siamese cats as well. And honestly, the most terrifying five minutes of my life was entering my minister's home to feed his cats. And the pay wasn't enough, you know. Not only were they antisocial, but I think they were psychopathic, bloodthirsty killer uh, kittens, you know, that the minister said, just don't make eye contact with them. <laughs> just go in and feed them and leave. That was good advice. But, uh, but don't you agree, there's a limit to how personally fulfilling a relationship we can have with animals. Uh, they're of animal likeness, and we're of human likeness. There's a gap between human likeness and animal likeness. There's a familiarity, but there's a gap. And so our, what does the Bible teach us about our relationship with God? The Bible says that God created us with his likeness, in his likeness, in his image. And that's an extraordinary thing to think about, that God didn't just create us to be his pets to be on an order below, right? Pets are below human. Uh, humans are supposed to be below divine. No, God elevated us. He creates us with his image, with his capacity. And the reason for that is 
He doesn't want us to have a limited relationship with him, but to see him fully and to know him and and love him and understand him and and for his thoughts to be our thoughts and for his spirit to be uh, filling us and and for us to have uh, the the ability to know and perceive him. And he's given us rationality so that we can contemplate him and, and spirituality so that we can relate to a God who is spirit. All these wonderful things. We're not just alone. Our life can be filled with meaning and purpose and significance through the relationship, the primary relationship we were created for, not just one another, but for God himself. Do you spend time thinking about these things very often? And what about the history of God? You know, here is this Bible that claims to be the single oldest recorded history not just in the world, but in the universe. What other book describes not just the creation of the earth, but the creation of the universe itself, of heaven, the creation of man, all these things in such vivid prose? What other book, scientific or maybe philosophic, unravels the mystery of life so completely as does our scriptures? You know, you turn to science to look for answers, you turn to philosophy to look for answers, and Science and philosophy are judged on the basis of how good and trustworthy of an answer they can give to our dilemmas in life. But when you open the scripture, God unravels the mystery of life. You know, scripture and philosophy leave you with more questions, more doubts, even bigger gaps. But the scripture begins to fill in those gaps and those doubts and gives us a real sense, not just of who God is and who we are, but our destiny in God. And it's an amazing thing to think about. Do you, do you contemplate the promises of Scripture? So the Bible talks about our crisis being fundamentally moral and spiritual. That instead of living into this spiritual nature, this uh, capacity to love God and serve him, we live below our nature. God gave us his image and likeness. We could interface with his image and likeness, but... We also kind of have like an animal nature, and sometimes we descend and live into that side of ourselves in the flesh, right, in the material nature. Sometimes we become more like animals instead of more like God. Or sometimes we try to become God himself and and put ourselves in the middle of everything, and that doesn't work out so well either. But what does the Bible teach us about our rebellion and our spiritual moral problem? Well, we've estranged ourselves from God, a loving father, the one whom we were created by and for, We've estranged, become estranged from our own selves within with shame and guilt and sin. We're without God. We're without hope. We've become estranged from the natural order itself. And so we're afflicted by seemingly random chaos and calamity and pain and suffering. But the scriptures say that our sin has even had ramifications in the natural order. And we're also estranged from each other. Our self-centeredness and cruelty toward one another compounds what other other pain otherwise would be there. Uh, but is there a solution? Uh, sometimes at Christmas, it feels like maybe uh, we're trying to brainwash each other to be nice and generous to each other, uh, only for us to return to our own ways once the decorations are put away at the end of the season. You know? But what if God really promised salvation in Christ? And what if Christ is himself the solution for the totality, the whole spectrum of human need? So what if in Christ, the Father is reconciling us really to himself? 
What if in Christ, not only does God fill us with his Holy Spirit, but God is tangibly and substantively healing the deepest, darkest recesses of our heart and our mind and our body and soul, and he's doing it by his Spirit. What if in Christ, God is bringing true and everlasting peace? Now, you can think of peace in a lot of ways. Peace with God, the Father, because we've rebelled and we've become hostile and, and enemies of God in many ways by, by thumbing our freedom against him. Uh, we lack peace within because of a whole spectrum of issues. We last, lack peace in the natural order. There's always calamity. We lack peace in relationships with one another. What if in Christ... God is bringing full, true, and everlasting peace in all those dimensions. What if in Christ God is reconciling all men, not just to himself, but also to each other? What if in Christ God is transforming us to truly love one another and be loved by one another? I think that's the essence of the church, is that we'd be a Christ-centered people that look not only to the interests of self, but to the interests of others. What if in Christ, God isn't just making us into a new people? What if in Christ, God is redeeming creation itself? This now abnormal creation, abnormal not because of God, but because of man, not because of some void in God's greatness or goodness, but because of a void in our spiritual and moral character. What if in Christ, this creation, this natural order that's been groaning right alongside Humanity that's also been growing for redemption. What if in Christ, redemption is finally and fully being offered to us? Deliverance from the curse of sin and death and all of its forms. What if in Christ, God's unraveling the mystery of life and life everlasting? Have you given much thought to this? To understanding the scope of redemption, the depth of redemption, the richness of it. It's hard to contemplate something like that, you know, uh, without being filled with meaning and a sense of purpose and significance that not only right now can we have this rich relationship with God, but he wants a relationship for all eternity. That That's kind of our destiny, in fact. What if in Christ the plan of God reaches its full fruition? You know, last week I mentioned how God evangelizes us through the Bible, which is kind of a way to say that that God testifies to us, God explains, he gives us understanding, he gives us insight, he unravels the mystery, uh, God uh, is renewing our, our minds and our hearts and all this, the word's very powerful, but God's speaking directly to you through his word. And uh, one of the places where we have this testimony of Christ, about who Christ is and, and what God's plan in Christ was, is in Ephesians chapter 1. And really, this is a summation of, of where we've been and where we're going with this series this Christmas. I want to read some of it to you. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse 2, the, the verses will be on the screen. It says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Not just uh, warm holiday wishes or warm holiday greetings. But what if there's real grace because we're in sinful and moral rebellion against God and each other and, and all things? What if there's real grace and with that grace, real peace available from God in Christ? Is it something we're thinking about? There are so many things competing for our attention, distracting us, driving us away from contemplation 
of these things. Verse 3, blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. I don't know about you, but I've got, uh, I've got some family that have Amazon wish lists. And they make these lists, no, they, they text them out, they share them. And it's like, this is my needs. These are my wants this season. And I got to thinking about, you know, we have these lists and we're often letting ourselves be defined this season by scarcity and want and need and desire and, and uh, a diminished kind of perspective on stuff. But what if we're looking at this season all wrong? What if there's another kind of list that we can maintain? And it's a list of all the rich ways that we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Have you ever attempted to make such a list of all the ways that you've been blessed in Christ? Have you contemplated it? Earlier this year, I started uh, just systematically, for lack of a better term, working my way through the scriptures. I started in the New Testament. And I've just been making a list of all the rich blessings that we have in Christ, that I have in Christ, that you have in Christ. All the rich blessings that we have in relationship with the Holy Spirit, uh, in relationship to one another, even out in the world that God created, what are, you know, our purpose and our calling. There's a richness and a depth and a, and a profoundness to where God brings us in Christ, in this relationship. And, and we've been blessed. We, God has not withheld anything. Now, that's the exact opposite of what we're told this season. We're told we've been withheld. A lot of things have been withheld from us, and we need more. And we're defined as the consumer. But we've been blessed. And, and I think Ephesians 1, maybe it's a kind of a list. If you want to make a list, and check, if there's a list worth checking twice, it's this one. He chose us in Christ. He chose us. And he did it before the foundation of the world. He chose us to be holy and blameless and to live a life in love before him. He gave us the capacity for this relationship. He predestined us to be adopted as his own sons and daughters through Jesus Christ himself. And he did it according to the good pleasure of his will. He did it for the praise of his glorious grace, grace that he lavished on us in Christ. In Christ, we have redemption through Christ's blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sin. And again, it's according to the richness of God's grace, a grace that he richly poured out on us in all wisdom and understanding. He also made known to us the mystery of his will. He, he made known his own mind and purpose and plan. And he did it according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. Uh, he, he purposed it as a plan that would be revealed at the right time, a plan to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and on earth, all again in Christ. In Christ, we've also received an inheritance because we are predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in agreement with his own purpose of his own will uh, so that we who have already put our hope in Christ again might exist for the praise of his glory. God is overwhelming us with reasons to praise and glorify him. Uh, in him you've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. God gave you a spirit, you were sealed. And the Holy Spirit's like a down payment 
of an even greater inheritance that will come at the redemption of God's possession. It's all going to happen for the praise of his glorious grace. Do you have an in Christ list? Not of want, but of blessing, of abundance, of grace, of mercy, of all the riches that you have in Christ. Do you, have you ever tried to just enumerate those things and, and contemplate them deeply? The true meaning of Christmas, the plan of God in Christ, it's not something you want to go and miss this season. It's not the sort of thing that you want to keep concealed in your heart and away from family and friends and other people. It's the kind of thing that you want to take and unravel and unwrap and, and well, you know, when you're young, you know, you do it with zeal, but you don't share it. But this is a gift to unwrap with the zeal of a child, but to share, you know, with the generosity of God. I'll say this sincerely. These days, I can't not contemplate the wonder of Christ. I, I try to think about other things, and I try to enter into other things with, you know, the, the joy or the perspective or whatever, but, but Christ keeps arresting my affections more and more, not less and less. And uh, this is my moment every week to kind of invite you to let Christ arrest your affections this season, and not just this season, but more. I'm curious how much attention do you give God? How much attention does he arrest from you? And it gets bigger and it gets richer the more you think about it. I'll, I'll do you one even better. Do you spend time contemplating that not only is Jesus actually God, but that for a time in history, in time, that, that God appeared in human form, uh, that in the person of Jesus that God was living amongst us, literally, tangibly, dwelling amongst us in flesh and blood, tabernacling, camping out, uh, living, eating, breathing, uh, sharing meals, sharing space, walking with us, all these things, that Jesus is the fullness of God, that, that Jesus is God being seen, being heard, being tasted and touched and known and found and unveiled in the way that we humans need God to be kind of experienced tangibly. That, that God sent Jesus so that he couldn't be missed and we'd have no excuse to say we never saw God. In John 14, 1, Jesus uh, is talking with his disciples. And, uh, you know, the Gospel of John's interesting you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all give accounts of Jesus, his events, his life, his miracles, his teachings, some of his conversations, some of his interactions with people. But in the Gospel of John, it's the one Gospel where you have like full extended conversations that Jesus is having with his disciples. And not on the main stage, not on the mountaintop, but like in the upper room and in, in more intimate, private, direct settings. You know, there's these conversations and, and they're all profound. And in the new year, uh, we're going to be going through the last half of the Gospel of John and, and some of those longer conversations we're going to be unpacking. What did Jesus teach these disciples? But one of the conversations is in John 14 and Jesus tells his disciples that they don't need to be troubled. 
that they could believe in God, but also he says, you can believe in me. And so he's putting himself on the level of God and saying, you can believe in me, you can believe in God, you don't have to live a troubled life in all the ways that we have trouble. And not only does Jesus tell them this, he says, I'm returning to the Father, and if I return to the Father, I'm going to make a place for you that you can be with him forever in eternity. And, uh, you know, the Father, if you think about it, once prepared a place for us to dwell with him in fellowship, and it was the Garden of Eden. And if God did that sort of thing once, he can do that sort of thing again. And Jesus is saying, I'm returning to the Father. We're going to make that space, that place of eternal dwelling and fellowship between you and God. And that's an extraordinary thing to talk about. Uh, But it's Thomas who says, "Uh, Lord, we don't understand where you're going exactly. So how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I'm the way. And I'm telling you the truth, and I am life. (laughs) No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you also know my Father. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Believe in God, believe in me. If you know the Father, you know me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is putting himself on the same level of God, and he's saying that God's creating an eternal dwelling for you, that the relationship is the pinnacle of our existence and the destiny and purpose for which we're all been created, not just by God, but for God, right? Now, not to be upstaged by the ignorance of Thomas, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Let's just back up here. Eternal place, eternal dwelling. I just want to see the Father. And Jesus doesn't mince a single syllable. He says, have I been among you all this time and you don't know me? Show us the Father. And here the Father is speaking through his son Jesus. And the Father, it's really the Father's voice here, I think, that says, I've been with you all this time, Philip, and you don't recognize me? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father? And the Father is in me. How do I know it's the Father speaking? Jesus says, the words I speak to you, I'm not speaking on my own. Someone's speaking through me. It's the Father. The life I have is not my own. It's the Father who is my life, who's in me. The Father who lives in me does these works and is speaking these words. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe on the works themselves. I regularly meet people, and I know you do too. And they're everywhere, I mean, obviously. But there's people who do not believe that Jesus could possibly be God. No way. Uh, And certainly Jesus could not be God in human form. No way does a God who transcends time, space, and matter, enter space, time, and matter. And people really struggle with it. I don't think people typically dismiss Christ after deep personal contemplation. I've talked to a lot of folks. I think most people dismiss Christ rather lazily. Even believers do. Uh, If you don't believe in Christ, ask yourself honestly this. Have you ever cracked open the Bible to really behold the divine mystery, the divine wonder, the divine spectacle who is Christ Jesus our Lord? 
not only is Jesus our very great and good God in human form, but every word Jesus spoke are the Father's words. Every action, every work that Jesus took aren't his, they are the Father's actions. His works are to be, his words are completely congruent with his divine identity. Do you realize that that is something that we're being invited not just to contemplate, but to also maybe evaluate a little bit? That you don't just have to believe on the the words, you can also believe on the works. But Jesus is saying, there is nothing absolutely in any way that's incongruent between me and a father who is good and a father who is great. What would it look like for us to contemplate such a thing seriously? So in the Gospel of John, uh, you have these conversations What is Jesus saying that's incongruent with something that we'd expect the Father to say to us? He takes these actions. What do we see Jesus doing that would be incongruent with what we'd expect God if God is Father and good and great and all that? And if he were here in human form, what would we expect that God to be doing? What character would we expect that God to have? Uh, The same guy that wrote the Gospel of John later wrote, First, second, and third John. He wrote some letters to encourage Christians like the Christians at Ephesus. And John, the apostle, writes, what was from the beginning, God, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life, this life was revealed. And we've seen it. We've seen the works. We've seen the character of it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we've seen, the works, what we've heard, the words, we're declaring to you. And we're telling you about Christ. Why? So that you may have fellowship with us. But here's the thing. Not just so you'd have fellowship with us, but our fellowship is also with the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and also His Holy Spirit, We are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. You should ask yourself if your joy is complete. See, joy is always this thing. Sometimes we refer to it as happiness or whatnot. But joy is always this thing we're aspiring toward and and reaching toward. And what if we've been aspiring and reaching toward it in all the wrong places? And and maybe we've been looking to the wrong lists to try to find it. And maybe it's already been offered us in Christ. And if it has, have you laid hold of it? John's testifying. I think God has testified to us through the scripture so that our joy may be complete. Have you laid hold of a true and full joy? I'm not asking you uh, to take some blind leap of faith and just believe for the sake of believing or, or believe because of some sentimental or emotional Uh, reason. I'm asking you, have you ever really opened up not just your eyes, but your heart to contemplate the full mystery of God as it's disclosed in Christ, testified by the Father through his word directly to us? Jesus is not just, he's the plan of God. He's the promise of salvation. He's also the very presence of God among us so that we would not mistake or miss who God is, that in Jesus, God visited us. He appeared, he visited us. 
this is something that ought to arrest our attention and our affections this season. And I'm just curious, to what degree is that happening? Let's pray. Dear Father, as we come to worship, we've come to this place and we've made you a focus during this time. And we pray that you would amplify our affections, amplify our understanding, amplify uh, your truth to us, amplify your words, amplify your works, calm our troubled hearts, help us to believe in you, which isn't a shortcut, uh, isn't some kind of a rational trick. You've given us substantive, tangible, your presence in the face of Jesus that we could behold the full glory of your nature. We don't have to look into darkness to believe. We look in the face of Christ. We don't look in the darkness. We look to Jesus who's the light to illuminate all that we need to know about our destiny in you. May this season be a season of worship and deep contemplation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.